you wanted to be here worshiping Jesus. And, man, that means so much. So thank you for being here today. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor. And, again, we're just so honored and glad that you wanted to, to be with us and, and be here. Really, really exciting. I mean, who's still excited about last week for Easter? I mean, it was an incredible day. It was it was one for the record books, literally for Pathway in many, many ways. I mean, um, we are still, I'm still kind of living in the aftermath of that in a, in a great way. I mean, so many amazing things what God did. And, and we packed the place out. It was just incredible. And, and, and we had, I mean, uh, several, many, many, many people raise their hand at the end to give their life to Jesus. We celebrate that. That's what Easter is all about. And uh, just really excited. In fact, I got a report this morning that someone else had filled out a connection card. So I'm like, man, that's great. And, and, uh, and, and if that's, I'll tell you something else that's really cool. I, I'm super excited about this and uh, because God is really moving in kids' path. And I just want to say, if you're looking for a place to get involved, we will never tell you. We're never going to ask for volunteers because we believe that we just want to come alongside what God's already doing in your life and help you. But I will say this. If you're looking for a place to get involved, I think there's like a revival going on in kids' path with our kids' ministry. It is amazing what God is doing. I love all of our kids' path leaders. Let's just give it up for them. They are incredible. My kids are in Kids Path, and they love it. But here's the, here's the really cool thing. So last Sunday, we're talking about all the people that gave their life to Jesus. And, man, we're so excited. And, you know, there's like five people that raised it. It was just amazing, and, and, and we're excited. And then at the end, we're packing up and getting ready to leave. And, and Andrea, our Kids Path pastor, she's just phenomenal. We're so blessed for her. But Andrea was telling me, yeah, you give it up to her. It was, she was telling me, she said, hey, you're not, you're not, maybe you will believe this. I don't know, but guess what happened in, in our first through fifth grade class for Kids Path, and I don't know what, and she said, well, you know, uh, and, and they took the kids out to hunt the Easter eggs while we were in here, and, and it was great, and it was a good time, and uh, Kirsten, I'm not sure if Kirsten's here, I can't see anybody, by the way, y'all, I could be, I could be an empty, are you here, Kirsten? Where, there she is, she's up, yeah, I, okay, I just see hands, I can't see faces right now with the lights, so I could be empty, but I'm glad Kirsten, Kirsten is a rock star for a lot of ways, but but so Kirsten was leading first through fifth grade last week, and she said, we hunted the Easter eggs, we came back, and there wasn't enough time to do the full, like, you know, lesson, the Bible lesson that, that was prepared. And she says, so I read um, Matthew chapter 28, which is what we read in here, which was really cool, about the resurrection of Jesus. And she said, you know, at the end, I explained what that means, why Jesus died, why he rose again, why we need him to, to come into our life, forgive us of our sins. And I explained it all, and then I just prayed, and just, you know, would, would if you like to receive Jesus and give your life to him. And she said, every single hand went up in first through crit. That's awesome. I mean, listen, that is the coolest thing. I'll be honest, I think that's the coolest thing that's ever happened at Pathway Church in, in almost five years in my book. That is incredible. That's awesome. So I'm telling you, you want to be where God is moving? Hey, you need to get in Kids Path. You really, really do. And, and we work with you. It's not like an every week thing. And what if I don't know how to come up with a lesson? Uh, listen, we'll help you do all of that. But I'm telling you, God is moving, and it's incredible. So, man, just so excited about that. Also excited because uh, not next week, but the week after, May 8th, is Mother's Day. Let's give it up for the ladies. Mother's Day. 
excited about that. And uh, my mom's here today. My wife is here. My dog, I got all the special ladies in my life are here. And I'm blessed. I'm, I'm richly blessed. I got all my ladies here and, and all, my, all my, my mom, my wife, my daughter. And, and, and uh, help me make me a better person who I am. And, and excited about Mother's Day. My wife is going to be speaking, Pastor Cranda. Excited about that. She's awesome. She's going to do great. So you want to come to hear that. We have a special gift for all the, even if you don't have kids, like, hey, you're still a mom at Pathway, okay? You're, you're a mom to us. And so we have a gift for every lady on Mother's Day. It's going to be great and, and really excited about that. And then we're doing child dedications on Mother's Day. I just think that's a great way to, you'll never forget Mother's Day. It's the day that you dedicated your children to Jesus. And so we'll give you more information at the end today. Child dedication does not mean that, like, they give their life to Jesus, it means that you're, you're dedicating them and your family and your home to raise them in a way that honors God. And so we are so, we have already had several, several people sign up for child dedication. And uh, someone's like, well, is there an age limit? Honestly, no, there's really not. If you just say, I want to dedicate to, to raise my family to love Jesus, that's what child dedication is. And we're really excited about that, looking forward to it. And today we're excited, we're going to continue part three of a series that we started three weeks ago on the gospel of, of Matthew. And if you don't know, the Bible has New and Old Testament. And we did a series in March on the first book of the Old Testament of the Bible uh, called Genesis. And we did, a, we did about a five-week series on that. And now we're doing a four-week series on the first book of the New Testament. So the Bible has New and Old Testament. The first book of the New Testament is called Matthew because Matthew is the guy that wrote it. And Matthew was a hand-picked eyewitness follower of Jesus. And so uh, everything that you read in Matthew, he was there to observe. And it is a first-hand account of the life of Jesus, things that he said, things that he did. And it's just been a great series. We started off in chapter 1, kind of about the birth of Jesus and why that's so special. Last week we did chapter 28, the last chapter of Matthew, uh, about his resurrection and, and what that means. And and, uh, and so we did the bookends. Now we're kind of going to go back and look at Again, I, I wish we could do, if we just did one chapter a week, it'd take 28 weeks. So some of us might be at the end, like, I'm ready for something else. you know. But uh, so, so that's kind of what we're doing at this way. But we're going to go back and look at, I think, the most famous, one of the most famous things Jesus is known for besides his birth and death and resurrection is his teaching. And in fact, even uh, people that are not Christians will agree, even I think some atheists would agree, that the teachings of Jesus, again, we know historically as a fact, there was a person named Jesus in, in Nazareth in Galilee, Israel. He did die by the Roman government, and we can't find a body. Those are facts, and, and, but they would even agree that his teaching is really remarkable. I, I've had several people who don't even believe in Jesus or the Bible, but they would agree that his teachings are life-changing. I would tell you this as well. If, if you're not sure that you believe in any of this stuff yet, hey, welcome to Pathway. We are a church just for you. And, but I would say, even if you don't really believe or you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, Jesus, everything we're about to read his words, I think you need to have in your life, they need to be in my life, even if you're like, I'm not sure that I believe it, but man, that's some good stuff right there. It's just really to help you. And, uh, and to set the background, 
what we're looking at, it's it's uh, really covers about three chapters of Matthew. We don't have time to look at all those today. In fact, we're just going to look at the beginning, the opening of his most famous message or his most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Mountainside. And so he's in northern Israel. There's a Sea of Galilee. It's a massive lake. And he's on the northern end of that in the first century. And he's outside. They, they didn't necessarily have buildings like this. And so he would be outside teaching. And it says he sat down to teach in a crowd. So hundreds, thousands of people came to listen to him teach. And it's his most famous sermon. And I encourage you this week to read that sermon and to dive deep into that. But we're going to look at just the beginning of it. And the beginning of his sermon in chapter 5 of Matthew is called the Beatitudes. And we could do, there's eight of them. We could do one Sunday on each, take eight weeks. But I'm just going to give you a nutshell of each of them and talk about why they matter for us today and what I believe we need to do as a response of that. Jesus, when he's teaching this, by the way, you need to know, um, everything he's about to say is contrary or opposite of what their culture said at that time. In that time, the religious people said that, hey, you know how God really loves you? If you have a lot of money. If you've if you got good health and a lot of money and a lot of power, obviously God's favor, God's blessing is on you. But even if you love God and you've got sickness or disease or you've been through a divorce or your life is kind of falling apart, you know, hey, God doesn't really love you that much and, and that's God's judgment on your life. Well, we're about to read Jesus. What he says radically changes that. It, he flips it on its head completely. And I just would say this, I think that we need to be careful as well that sometimes we look at other people, even Christians, and we think, man, God must really bless them because th just everything in their life works. I mean, everything that they do, everything they put their hand to just seems like God blesses. And and yet me, I'm, I'm, I'm loving Jesus. I read my Bible. I pray. My life's falling apart. Maybe God doesn't love me that much. Nothing could be further from the truth on both accounts. And Jesus is going to give us proof of that. So let's check it out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as he, who's Jesus, saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them, saying this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So what Jesus is is essentially saying here is, hey, look, and, and I just we got to start off before we get too far into it. He he says the word God blesses, and depending on your translation, it may say blessed are those. Your translation of the Bible may even say happy are those. But when we use the word happy in our culture, it means one thing. When we say the word blessed, it means one thing. Like, well, just bless your heart, and you know, you see, God bless you. No, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. 
In fact, it's difficult to translate that word, the, the original language, into English because we don't have a word that actually captures it. But what he's really getting at is saying there is an inner joy. God blesses those. In other words, it's not just a favor blessing of God. It's, a, it's an internal peace, an internal joy, an internal satisfaction that you did not get from this world, and therefore nothing and no one in this world can take it from you. That's what he's saying. That if you want to have something that no one can give you and no one can take from you, this is how. If you've ever wondered, by the way, like who does God really bless in life and why or how does he bless them, Jesus gives you eight beatitudes right here. Eight blessings of God. And again, even if you're not sure you believe on all this, I'm telling you, these eight things are going to help your life. But especially if you do believe in Jesus and you want God's favor and God's blessing and you want a joy that when your world is falling apart around you, an inner joy in you that no one can take from you, and you want to know, man, how can I live a life in such a way that will honor God and be a blessing and I can have God's blessing in my life, Jesus starts off right here eight simple ways. By the way, let me, let me just say this. I think it is awesome. I think it's remarkable. Think about this. Jesus is God in the flesh. And of all the ways he could have started off his most famous sermon. I mean, this is the first sermon we have of him in Matthew. Of, of all the ways, he, he didn't come down and say, you know what, you people are, are just a piece of work. I am so disappointed in you. I mean, you guys are pathetic. You're just sinners. You're heathens. And your life's so messed up. I don't even know if I can, if I can straighten it out. That's how messed up you are. He doesn't come down and say, hey, I'm going to give you four tips to have a better marriage, three ways to make more money. All that's fine. Isn't it amazing? This is the character that we learned, the first characteristic about God, that he comes down, and he doesn't come down to condemn. He comes down to bless. Think about God for a moment. Of all the ways he could have started off his start, he just says, I just want to tell you how I'll bless you. If you've ever wondered how you can have God's blessing, he gives you, I mean, simple Eight, eight ways right here. So what, what I want to do uh, for time's sake, and by the way, these are not multiple choice. It's not like, well, I'll do the first three, but the last two I just can't do. Or that merciful thing, I'm good at that. But the peacemaker, no, I can't do that. No, 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 it's all or none. Later on, if you read the rest of his sermon, Jesus would say that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, that your life should be known by the fruit it produces. In other words, he doesn't mean literal fruit, but what he's saying is the characteristics, the overflow, the traits of how you act and what you say, uh, the characteristics of your life, that is the proof that you're my follower. What are the fruits that prove that we're followers of Jesus? These eight characteristics right here. I mean, he tells you. Like, this is the way we know we're followers of Jesus. And so what I want to do is in a very quick nutshell, break down each of them very quickly. We're going to camp out here just for a few moments, and then we'll get on to why these things matter and what we can do about them. So let's break it down and look at it like this. A way to think of it is there's eight. The first four are really about our relationship with God. The first four kind of think about our heart and how God wants to transform that to be his followers. Here's the first one, uh, and, and I'm summarizing. He talks about the poor in verse 3. Blessed are the poor. God blesses those who are poor. And what does he mean? He doesn't necessarily mean financially poor. That could be part of it. But that's not what he really has in mind. He says, blessed are those who are poor. In other words, they recognize God is all I have. God is all I need. 
whether I'm a millionaire or whether I'm broke, my real wealth in life is not anything this world can give me, but it's everything God has for me in a relationship with him. That without God, I really am poor. I mean, I, I could have millions of dollars in the bank, but if I don't have Jesus, I'm as broke and unhappy as they come. I can be broke, but I've got the joy of Jesus in my life, and therefore I am not poor. I am blessed by God because I live on his wealth, his blessing in my life. Blessed are those who recognize they're poor in and of themselves. They can't do it on their own. They have to have God's help. They need a relationship with him. Here's the next one in verse 4. Those blessed are those who mourn. What he's really saying is those who long for God's forgiveness in their life and the world around them. Blessed are those who mourn. He doesn't necessarily mean blessed are those who mourn because they lost a job or a, or a family pet. And then certainly those are, those are real things. What he means is, no, blessed are those who mourn. What he means is over the sin in their own life. That, that we're not cavalier about our own sin. That we don't just say, well, you know, Jesus forgave me. I'll sweep it under the rug. It's okay. It's a white lie. You know, we're good. No, no, no. No, God, I broke your heart. I disobeyed you. And, God, I'm so sorry. God, it, it breaks my heart that I've sinned. I think that you forgive me. I'm thankful. But, God, it breaks my heart. I mourn over my sin. And also, I mourn over the sin of culture and society around me. When was the last time, if I can just push the envelope a little bit, when was the last time instead of maybe, you know, getting angry or judging another group of people or another state or another political party, instead we mourned over sin in our country, we mourned over sin in our city, mourned over the sin in our own family. When was the last time that, that sin, it, it's so easy, it's so easy for us, especially as Americans, to read headlines like, well, if those people could just get their act together, or, well, that state is totally messed up because of their politics, if we could just elect the right person and pass the right laws. No, 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 he doesn't say that. He says, first, you mourn over the sin in culture. Not, I'm going to give a big rant on social media about how, all the, no, 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 I'm going to mourn over the sin first in my life and the culture around me. That's what he's talking about. Then verse 5, he talks about the meek. Here's a great way to think of meek. Meek is power under control. Meek is not weak. So don't think, well, we've got to be meek. Meek, little Christians, little, little church mice. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. Meek, I'm a doormat. I'll just let you, you know, run all over me. They messed up my order, you know, at, at Chick-fil-A, and they're supposed to be Christians. I just, it's okay. I just, no, no, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying go make a big scene about it. If you do, don't tell them you go to Pathway Church. You can say Mother Church, but, but don't say Pathway. No, meek is power under control. A great illustration, example I heard of this is, is I know a lot of people at Pathway have, have, have horses. And, and so think about if you're, if, and even if you don't know horses, you've seen a horse, hopefully, and you know what I'm talking about. But horses, that when these are big animals. I mean, massive animals. And think about when you're sitting on a horse, Think about all the power that animal has, all the strength he has, she has, but yet it's under submission. It's under control. Could they go wild and crazy and really hurt you and kill you? Yes, they could, but they're under control. At times, do they need to show some of that, some of that power and unleash some of it? Yes, and so did Jesus. When you really study his life, there were times in his life where he had that power under control, but at times he would let the power get loose a little bit because of injustice and try to set things right. So we're not saying that you're weak. No, we're saying that I could say something, but I'm meek. I'm not power under control. At special times, if I need to unleash that, I will. 
Here's the next one. In verse 6, those who hunger and thirst for justice. Your translation may say righteousness. It's, it's somewhat of the same concept here of what Jesus is saying. But they hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. And First of all, they hunger and thirst for more of him. I mean, do you really hunger and thirst for more of God in your life? More of the relationship with Jesus in your life? Like, that's, that's what I think about the first thing of a morning and before I go to bed and throughout my day. God, I just want, not that I need more of you, I do, but more than that, I want more of you in my life. God, I'm hungry for more. I'm thankful for where you, we, we prayed that earlier. I'm thankful for what you've done in the past. But, God, I'm hungry for you to do something even greater. I'm hungry for you to take me to the next level, to show me more about you, to walk in greater power that you have. And in addition to that hunger and thirst for justice, when we see injustice taking place around us, we are not afraid to stand up for that. We are not afraid to be vocal. So this one ties in really nicely with meek. Meek does not mean every time somebody does something wrong, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vocalize it. No. But there are times when I see injustice taking place, I will stand up. I will maybe make a social media post. I will. But, but I am going to stand up. I'm going to mourn over the sin of it. But I'm going to stand up for injustice. I'm going to make my voice heard. That's what he's talking about. So is there times where it's okay to do those things? Yes. That's the, how do I know? I think it's through great prayer. Just seeking God. God is now a time. I mean, look, if you're standing up for every little thing that comes along, okay, maybe we need to go back to the meekness side. But if it's like, boy, I've not really seen you like this. this is, there's, there's an injustice and you're really standing up for it. Yeah. It's not I see what's happening in halfway across the world when one country invades another country. Boy, that's really bad for them. No, God, that's injustice and I'm going to stand up for that. I'm gonna, or when people's rights are violated, God, I'm going to stand up for that. It might not be popular even in my own friend's Christian circle, but, God, I know it's not right. I'm going to stand up for injustice. I'm going to stand up for your truth regardless of the consequences. Now, here's the next four, verses uh, 7 through 12. The next four, so the first four are really our heart, our relationship with God. And now a way to think of it that's all really about our heart, but also about how we treat those around us. So God wants to get our heart pure and tweaked it and get it really set. And now he says, now the next four are how you treat everyone around you. So let's dive into those. In verse 7, he talks about the merciful. Listen, they will be blessed because they place showing mercy above their own rights. They've learned to give mercy because they've received mercy. The merciful, here's how we would define that, how Jesus would define that. That I can give you mercy because I received the mercy that Jesus has given me. I cannot give you $10 million today because I don't have it. But I can give you the mercy of Jesus because I'm full of it in my life. And I want to give it to you. So that doesn't mean that I go around demanding my right, and you hurt me, and you did this, and, I'm gonna, and that's not right, and you know who I am, and, and, and shove our weight around. No, no, no. God, I give mercy. I know, hey, I know what you did was wrong. You know what you did was wrong, but I give you mercy. Man, I could, I could come down like a hammer on you, and I could do all that. I'm going to give you mercy. Why? Because that's what Jesus did with me. Can I just say this? If you struggle with this area, then maybe you haven't fully realized the fullness of the mercy of God in your own life. Jesus would later say this, that to much who has been forgiven, they love much. In other words, because of my life was so messed up and he forgave me of all that, man, how dare I hold one little thing against you? No, I'm going to give you mercy. 
Think about how different our world would be if, if everybody just practiced giving a little more mercy and a little less judgment all the time. That's what Jesus is advocating for. Here's the next one. Those who are pure in heart in verse 8. Those who are completely focused on loving God and serving others. You have no hidden agenda or motive. Your heart is pure. And that people, when they come up to you and, and they, they want something from you, they ask you of something or you ask them of something, that you have the reputation of, man, they have no hidden agenda. They have no ulterior motive. No, they're doing this because they're asking me for something because it really is for my own interest. Or, or I'm asking them for something because I really believe it will help. But they, they, just, they just got a pure agenda. I mean, they're not like, well, if I can do this and do this, then I'll come out on top. No, no, no. I want what's best for you because my heart's pure. I've had to work on this, my wife will tell you, in my life. It's taken me years. God's worked on me in, in various ways because I've always thought, well, if I can do this, and not, not to use people, but just thinking, man, I want to get to the goal so bad, I'll almost do anything to get there. And, and God has been working on my heart to realize, no, 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 man, you just, you just have a pure heart. And just, it's not for what's best for you, it's what's best for them. That's the attitude he's saying. Verse 9, he talks about blessed are the peacemakers, those who have peace between them and God, and therefore seek to make peace in the world around them. Do you have peace between you and God? In other words, do you have a relationship with Jesus? That's the ultimate peace of all. You'll never have greater peace until you have a relationship with Jesus. Then you are at peace with God, and then and only then can you go out, and, and it is our job to make peace with the world around us. Listen, we are not to be known, if you consider yourself a Christian and follower of Jesus, we are not to be known as those who go around stirring up gossip. We're to be known as those who go around mending fences and making peace. I'm not saying that you need to go around and stick your nose in all kinds of conflict because sometimes you'll get, you'll get shot in a crossfire. We're not saying that. But when you know that there is a situation that God can use you and will use you to make peace between two people or two things, you need to do it. You need to do it. Why? That goes back to the pure in heart. It's not going to benefit you, but my heart's pure. And God, because I have peace with you, I want to help make peace with the world around me. That's what I want to be known for, making peace. Not stirring up trouble, not backbiting or, you know, I'm going to step on you to get ahead or I'm going to stir up conflict or gossip. No, no. I want people to know if there's conflict, they come to me, I'll make peace because I've got the peace that God's given me. And now, I, I find it really interesting, verses 10 through 12, the only part that Jesus gives a little bit of like an asterisk, like a little bit of a footnote, and the only part that he explains more. And by the way, notice that verse 3 and verse 8, they, they end the same way. And theirs is the kingdom of God. The other ones, they're just blessed. But the kingdom of God is how he begins and ends it. But notice when he talks about persecution, it is not by coincidence, it's not an accident that he says, and you need to be peacemakers, and by the way, you're going to be persecuted for it. <laughs> Think about it. It is that you need to be peacemakers, and people are going to love you, and they're just going to pat you on the back, and things are going to be great. No, what he's saying is, if you do all the other seven, and if you're a peacemaker, and you've got a pure in heart, and you give mercy, at the end of the day, you know what you're going to get in return from people in this world? Persecution. God will bless you, but other people in culture are going to persecute you. That's what he's saying. I, I would say this. If there's one part of this that I think Christians in America need to really perk up, I think we work on all of them. I think number eight is a big one. 
because we haven't really known persecution. I think, to be honest, not to be Debbie Downer, or if your name's Debbie, no offense, that's just that's what we say. Uh, but I think, I think we think that persecution could be coming. Therefore, when you feel my rights are being taken, my rights are being violated, and this company doing that and that, hey, listen, Jesus told you it was going to happen. Chill out. <laughs> that's what I want to say. If I could rant on social media, that's what I would tell all the Christians. Just chill out. Go read your Bible. Jesus gives a whole chapter devoted to persecution, by the way. He says this, hey, look, if they persecuted people in, in the Old Testament, they're going to persecute you. All of the disciples died except for one, John. All of them died at persecution for standing up for Jesus. And I believe all of them really lived out and emulated all eight qualities. But notice what Jesus said. When they persecute you, because you are a peacemaker, because God's blessing is on your life, people are going to hate that. People of this world will hate that. When that happens, what does Jesus say? Rejoice and be glad. I mean, that's the opposite of what we would tell you. I mean, if, if you come to me, I'm not going to tell you, like, man, Brian, I lost my job because I'm being persecuted. That's great news. I, I, I love you too much to tell you that as your pastor. I'm like, man, that stinks. How can I help you? Let's pray. No, Jesus says rejoice and be glad because you're in good company. Listen, persecution will come. That doesn't mean we need to panic. doesn't mean we need to go to court, march in the streets. Jesus said it's going to happen. Why? I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to give you what I believe are five big takeaways from the, these, these eight characteristics, these eight attributes. I would just say this. It means you're a real follower, has real values. So if you would consider, I'm, I'm all in with Jesus, I'm a real follower, then these need to be your set of values in life. And I think there's five big takeaways as I see them, as I look at the big picture of them in no particular order. And if you're, if you're taking notes, you can write these down or you can, uh, in, in your phone or on paper, or you can just take a screenshot of it on the, on the screen. But I, I would just say these five things. The first one is that you've got to understand stuff can't satisfy, only God can. Notice the theme there. Of all eight, not one of them is saying, if you work hard, God will bless you with a bigger paycheck. And that's great. And there's a true principle there. But it doesn't say that. If you have a good attitude, even in tough times, it will be okay. No, no, no. He says, you've you got to understand that nothing in this world can satisfy you and give you joy. Only God can. God can bless you even when your heart is broken. God can give you peace even when the world around you is falling apart. He understands that. Stuff can't satisfy, only God can. The second one, this is who and how people are blessed by God. Again, if you ever wanted to know that, this is it. Who does God really bless? And how does he bless them? And can I be like that? Yes. He doesn't say this is for pastors. This is for really religious people. This is for people that, that they pray for an hour every day and they can memorize the Bible. No, no, no. And all that's good. He says anybody can have it if you have a relationship with Jesus. Do these eight things and you will be blessed by God. But again, not necessarily a financial thing. Maybe it is. But in your heart. The other thing, third thing, understand you can't do this on your own. I think if you tried to do this, because I've tried to do it on my own, even in relationship with Jesus, I've tried to, to be a peacemaker. I've tried to be merciful. I've tried to be pure in heart, and it's hard. But what I've learned is I can't do it on my own. I have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to help me. So I would encourage you, as you follow Jesus every day, pray. This is what I do. Every morning before my feet hit the ground, Holy Spirit, I need your help today. I need your power. I want all that God 
God has for me. And I, I'm a real follower, and I want to have the real values. I want to have God's blessing on my life, but I can't do it on my own. I, I, I'd love to be a peacemaker, but instead, like, you know, I want to show them the lightning and the thunder of my muscles, right? Like some people think that, like, be a peacemaker. I got some peace for you. You're going to hear my peace. Like, no, no, no. Holy Spirit, I need your help. Help me today. That's why you, you can't do it on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the fourth one. This is what a real follower of Jesus looks like. I would hope that if we were to interview your three closest friends or family, we would say, man, does their life kind of line up to that? Does my life line up to that? As your pastor, my life's on display. Does it? And if it doesn't, I want you to come and let me know. Maybe not today. Maybe tomorrow. Just give me one day to think about it and get prepared. But maybe tomorrow. Here's the fifth one. God's values are different from culture values. This ties back into the persecution. Why would we be persecuted when we're pure in heart and we're merciful and we mourn and, and we do all the good things? Because that leads us to why this matters. God's values are different. Think about it. This is why Jesus will go on. If you read Matthew, and I've been encouraging you to read Matthew every day in your own time as we've been doing this series together, this month-long series. But as you read Matthew, you're going to find Jesus' crazy, weird things. And he says them a lot. He says crazy, weird things like, if you want to be first, you need to be last. If you want to be the greatest, you need to be least. Our culture doesn't think that way. Very few cultures do, by the way. It's not just an American thing. It's a human thing. Jesus, in other words, is telling you this, the values of my kingdom, the values of following me are very much opposite of the values of the things of this world. In other words, Jesus is trying to tell us this, that this is the way I intended people to live. This is the way I want every human being on planet earth to live, but few do because it's opposite of culture. It's almost like, you know, we are living right side up in an upside down world. When you read the news or headlines or whatever, and you're like, people in your own life, like, that's just messed up. Yeah, because Jesus would tell you, I didn't mean for it to be like that. I didn't intend for it to be like that. I intended for it to be Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. That's what I want it to be. But as a result of that, you will be persecuted because your values are different. That's why you'll be persecuted. That's why this message matters. Live for his values. Listen. How different would, would planet Earth be if everyone lived by these values? And just hold off on that. How different would the United States be if we all lived by these eight principles? And hold off on that. How different would Oklahoma be if we all lived by these principles? How different would, would Oklahoma City metro area be if we all lived by this? How different would Yukon be? If we, how different would your neighborhood be? How different would your family be? Most important, how different would you be? If you lived by all these principles. So many times we think, oh, you know, they're messed up over there. And if they could get that fixed. And, oh, the, and, and we look at this kind of broad thing. And Jesus is not talking a broad thing. He's talking directly to you. And he's talking directly to your heart. Hey, you don't worry about them over there. You worry about you. You take care of these eight things in your life. Then you instill these things. Parents, the greatest thing you can ever do to your kids is instill all eight of these principles into their life. That's the best thing you can do. That's the greatest legacy and inheritance you could ever leave them. Instill these principles in them. Let them be known for that in your life. That's what Jesus wants. 
Listen, I would just say this. Institutions, while we're grateful for them, they cannot change the human heart. Only Jesus can. You look, well, we passed this law, and, and that's good. But that doesn't change the human heart. Only Jesus can. Religion, church can't change a heart. Only Jesus can. Here's the big takeaway. Here's the, okay, Brian, I understand, you know, real values or a real follower, and I, I understand that God's values are different from the culture around us. That's why we'd be persecuted. What do I do about it? I would say this. You need to live with God's values. I would even say live in God's values. That every day I'm praying these values over my life. I'm praying them over my kids. I want to instill them in my kids, in my marriage, at my work. Just, I just want to be known as these things. You know, I, I don't know, sometimes, like back in the day, it was popular to have the Ten Commandments, like a really picture thing in your home. And, and that's great. If you do that, that's awesome. But I think maybe it would be just as good or maybe even better if we had these eight principles framed in our home, in our living room, maybe above our TV, maybe in our kitchen. We see them every day. We're reminded of them. Live with these values. Live with these principles. This is how Jesus wants you and I to be different from the world around us. He doesn't want you to be different by wearing Jesus t-shirts to work or WWJD bracelets and all that's good or, or taking, you know, reading your Bible and thumping people over there. No, if you will live this way, I promise you, it will become evident very quickly to the world around you. You are different because you live for his values. So stop trying to fit in with culture around you. You were made to be different. Stand up and stand out for a purpose of standing up for the kingdom of God's values. And God will bless your life for it. Jesus, he didn't say if you work really hard, then I'll bless you. If you pray really, then I'll bless you. No, live this way. God will bless you. So many times we try to fit in. No, no, he's saying be different on purpose. Be different. I would say this, my challenge to you this week, I'm going to give you homework, and I know you'll do it because you're awesome, pathway peeps are the best, I'm going to give you homework, I want to challenge you as your pastor, and really just as a follower of Jesus, every day this week, on your phone or in a physical Bible, either one, you can do it on the pathway app, it's free, click on Sunday notes, click on messages, and, and we have Matthew 5, 1 through 12 already out there, and you can read it every day. You can take notes there. But I encourage you, every day this week, here's my challenge. Every day this week, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, if you want bonus points, every day you read Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And then I want you to pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, I cannot do these on my own. I can't even do any of them on my own. I have to have your help. I have to have your power. Help me today. Not to worry about people in some other state, but to live out these values to the world around me today. Help me, if I'm a parent, to instill them in my kids this week, and the week after, and the week after. Help me instill them in my marriage, my business decisions, my, my coworkers at work, the other, the other parents on the ball team, other people at school. Help me to live them out. And Holy Spirit, if there's any one of these, or maybe there's more than one, that, that I need work on, would you show me right now? Most likely you already know what it is. I know what mine is. Would you show me and help me this week? I encourage you to do that. I know you'll do it. Your life's going to be changed because of it.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love and your joy and your hope and your peace, your purpose, and most of all, your forgiveness. Help us to understand the real values of your kingdom are different from the values of the culture around us. Therefore, help us to live in your values every day. I pray that you would help us to read Matthew 5, your words, the very beginning of your sermon. Eight ways we can be blessed. We can't do it on our own. We have to have the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, through that, if we all do it, our world individually will change, and then the world around us, and then all of a sudden our communities will change, and our area will change, our state, our country. Instead of thinking outside in, help us to think inside out. God, we love you. We thank you. We magnify you. As we're just praying today, I would just challenge you to this. All of us are praying. If you would say, yeah, Brian, I need, I want God's blessing in my life. I want to my life to emulate all eight of those values, those blessings. If that's you, if you would just raise your hand. We're all praying. Nobody's looking, but just I want that in my life. I want to be known for those things. That on my deathbed, they could say, man, my life lived out all eight things. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. God, I pray for every hand that's raised that you would bless them. It may be challenging. It may be difficult. They may have some work to do in some areas of these eight things as, as I do in my own life. But I thank you that you didn't just leave us on our own to figure it out and hope that we make it. No, you've given us the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us daily because we 